Readings from Genesis chapter 37, verses 18 to 36. But they saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns, and say that it was a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into the cistern here in the desert, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said, to, said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the richly ornamented robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. Now the cistern was empty. There was no water in it. As they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw the caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, What will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. His brothers agreed. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites, who took him to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the cistern and saw that Joseph was not there, he tore his clothes. He went to his brothers and said, The boy isn't there. Where can I turn now? Then they got Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat, and dipped the robe in blood. They took the ornamented robe back to their father and said, We found this. Examine it to see whether it is your son's robe. He recognized it and said, This is my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and daughters came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. No, he said, in mourning will I go down to the grave to my son. So his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Elijah. You may be seated. This is the second message in sermon series called Lord to Success. Based on Joseph's life in Old Testament, as I defined two weeks ago, uh, success, biblically speaking, success is finding and following God's will for your life. Finding and following God's will for your life. That is what I meant by success. Uh, therefore, process is so important. I heard some young folks that before I reached age of 30, I'm going to be a millionaire. You know, uh, you have your final uh, maybe uh, goal or destination. You want to reach that uh, certain age and become successful person. If you're going to hold process, you cannot really reach that the point, right? So uh, direction is more important than, than speed. We want to be at a certain place at a certain time. But without ignoring all this process, you cannot reach the place where God 
desire us to reach. So it is important for us to understand success. It is, it is process. Knowing and understanding spiritual principle, how we can be successful. Uh, Joseph was one of the most successful people lived in history. He started out as a judgmental, prideful, and self-centered teenager, but he ended up as one of the most powerful person in ancient history. He served as a great martyr of success for all of us. In today's message, I want to share there are sometimes sinkholes on the road to success. I was, I was in Mexico uh, two weeks ago. I, I, I still can recall this place, the name of this place, from the Mexico City to another city. It took us about an hour and 40 minute flight. And from there to our hotel, it took us about an hour and a half driving. And from our hotel to the, the mountain area, it took us about almost five hours. It was very curvy and rocky in uh, you know, a road. It wasn't smooth uh, sailing. And I thought about life. You know, life is more like uh, not driving here on Sunday morning, Highway 10 or 101 or whatever. It's not smooth, you know, road. It is very ups and downs, rocky roads and curvy. But there is a place where you can end up. When I went to mountain, oh, my goodness, such a precious children were there. They were so precious. And I had a great time with them. They don't even speak Spanish. I had to speak, and our sister Frances has to translate that. I mean, she translated in Spanish, and the other person translated Spanish into their native language. Life is very curvy and rocky. Sometimes in your journey, you will face sinkholes in your life. What do you do when you fall into sinkhole? You know, look at, uh, where's the clickers? Oh, here you go. You know, in today's text, this, uh, the, we have, this the first one, right? Is it verse 24 there? Okay, let me read verse 24. It says, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. Now the cistern was empty. Okay, there was the first Second part of the verse, okay, 24 says, there was no water in it. Joseph also facing God in his life. He was thrown into assistance. I was in Israel more than a few, few times, and I saw, saw old cistern. They used to use that cistern as keeping the water, store, stored waters. So it is kind of deep, 20 to 30 feet down, kind of deep, right? And Joseph was thrown into the system. And since they were, the system was used to store waters, you have to make it very solid. All the side and bottom has to be like a rock. So literally, figuratively, Joseph was thrown into the system and he hit the rock bottom. Sometimes we hit the rock bottom. Even God's children sometimes hit rock bottom and suffer. 
Dr. Howard Hendricks, he once said, sometimes life is so tough, you don't hit rock bottom, you crash right through the bottom. You may feel like your life is crashed right through the bottom. The truth is, life is filled with painful traveling circumstances. Hitting rock bottom is not an uncommon experience, but the key to success is how you respond when you find yourself at rock bottom. The great general, George Patton, uh, he was a four-star general, he had an interesting definition of success. He said, success is how high you bounce when you hit rock bottom. So how we respond is so important. Like Joe said, you may be in one of the life sinkholes in yourself. It may be a relationship sinkhole. It may be a family sinkhole or job-related sinkhole. You may be struggling in a sinkhole of fear or worry. Or perhaps you are hit rock bottom in terms of your health or finances. Let me share with you three things to remember when you are at the rock bottom. You know, Christianity, having a faith means remembering. It is kind of interesting because we keep forgetting. We love to forget things that we already learned, right? So coming to church and worshiping God, and even hearing the word of God, even reading the scripture, God is reminding us again and again and again. This principle is so simple, yet it is need to be reminded us again. Let me share three things. When you, uh, first thing is already there, right? You have to remember God has a plan for your life. If I were uh, Joseph, if I had issues, I mean, I would probably get panicked. I'll probably say, what are you guys doing? Aren't you my brothers? What are you doing to? I mean, I'll probably get panicked. person like me get really get scared. Like, what? What are you guys doing? I'm dying. I'll probably say that. <laughs> Think about how God reacts to the situation. Maybe God pulled out one of those angels and said, did you see just what just happened to Joseph? Did you see that? Can, can they do that to Joseph? Is it possible? I don't think do you think God would react that way? No. God knew exactly what's going to happen, right? He knew beforehand what's going to happen to Joseph's life. God is often allows difficulties to come into our lives to test us. Did you know that? God is testing us. Why is he testing us? To enhance us, to build our faith. There was a boy who had to take an exam, take a test. So he had to he study hard. Before he slept at night, he, this is how we pray. God, hope to pass tomorrow's test. If I should die before I wake, wake up, there's one less test I will have to take. I think this guy is smart. If you are bleeding, breathing, if you are alive, you will have a test. If you are that person, you don't have to take tests, right? If you are alive, you will take the test. God will give us a test. He's testing us. 
to build out faith. There's one difference between taking a test in school and test of faith. In school, you learn the lesson, then take test, right? But in faith, he gives you a test first, then he teaches you a lesson. Do you remember taking a true and false test? The statement, if the statement is true, you say T beside it, right? If it's false, you put F. This is the test God is giving, giving to us. During the toughest times of your life, you can totally trust God. That's the question. True and false. What are you going to write? Oh, T, I mean F. Is that you? Open prayer, we can write. That's true. During the toughest times of my life, I can totally trust God. I wish I can say that. I wish you can say that too. What is God's plan? This is what Bible says in uh, Jeremiah. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. See, God's plan for your life is, it has to do with the future. It has to do with the hope. What is his plan to your life? After I lost my mom last, last Saturday, it's been only a week, but I think I had a, one of the toughest week. My emotions very ups and downs. Like I, I was happy one one point that she is with the Lord and I'm meeting my siblings and like, yeah, having a reading after reading scripture, meditating about afterlife. I was so excited. Yeah, same time, you know. But I was like, when I think about my mom, I feel like she's still there, you know, staying with my sister and. And I visit, I've been visiting the place like five times last week, and I feel like she's still there at one of the rooms. It's so hot. My emotions like ups and downs. It was very tough, toughest week of my life. But you know what? Jesus became so real to me. I think that's a blessing. I thought, I, actually, in a long time ago, I thought, you know, like, what if I lose my mom? I think I'm going to be crazy. Maybe I'm going to you know, be like a wild person, you know, like a, be rebellious maybe to God even. One point when I was young, I thought about that. But even after I lost her, I, I feel Jesus became so real to me. You know, when you're in the system, every side is in a block, right? All you can see is up upward, right? You can only see up, right? When you are in the toughest situation, Jesus can become so real. And I became more committed to the Lord. You know, I was telling to myself, Jesus, even though I'm not there yet, I'm far from, you know, uh, from, you know, your presence, your perfectness, I want to give my best shot. I want to commit myself to you and your service. Even though I'm not that Gifted person, pastor, I want to give my best shot. You know, see, when you look up and focus on Jesus, God gives you the desire to commit more to Him. 
and end up realizing that is the mercy of God. Even death, losing somebody whom you love, that in a whole situation can lead to the place where you experience the love of God and mercy of God. Isn't that awesome? You know, our brothers and sisters gather together and we decide. My mom, she, she was an educated lady. She only went to elementary school. She so wanted to go to school. She begged to her father, my grandfather. But being an old grandfather, you know, like, you don't have to go to school, young girl. Back in those days, you know, they didn't, what are you going to do with education living in this countryside? But she wanted to learn so much. That's why she memorized so many poems by great poets. I remember growing up, she was keep quoting the poems from the great poets. That's why she loved to read. So our brothers and sisters, we we, we decide, hey, how about we uh, select few? Because we've been giving her, like, yongton, you know, Allowance, we, we give my mom, I give her every month a certain amount, and my brother, we've been giving mom allowance, but knowing the fact that I cannot give her anymore, I mean, there's no person whom I can give my young ton, that makes me sad. My goodness, there's no, she's not here anymore. But we decide, hey, how, how about we give, still give, so that we can raise, we can send uh, Girls, who wants to go to school? Yet the situation is not allow them. So how about we, like, I just got back from the mountains. How about we visit the mountains, we visit the mountains, maybe select views, and how about we, you know, help them to, to education? Even making those kind of decisions, I realize it is the mercy of God. Even though you are in the toughest moment, God has plan for your life. His plan is that you may see him clearly, more vividly. Second point, you need to remember it is not coincidence. When you face sinkhole in your, <clears throat> your road to success, you may say, it is bad luck. But luck or coincidence is not part of God's vocabulary. I don't believe in coincidence. But I believe in the sovereignty of God. Sovereignty of God. That just means God, that God rules. Everything is under his control. Many months before the God of universe had placed in the minds of trader of midnight to make the business trip to Egypt. It wasn't coincidence. It was divine work of God, that he, that the traitor showed up at the perfect time to transfer Joseph to Egypt. This illustration, this the story that I got, uh, I, I, I got this like two weeks ago. A musician named John Oakes, not our Oakes sisters, but O-A-K-S, Oakes. Uh, he, he, he told his story uh, in the Christian magazine uh, uh, titled Sparrow at Starbucks. I want to just read it, okay? I'm going to just, I think it's better for you to understand. 
It was chilly in Manhattan, but warm inside the Starbucks shop on 51st Street and Broadway. For, for a musician, it is the most lucrative Starbucks location in the world, I am told, and consequently, the tips can be substantial if you play your tunes right. I was playing keyboards and singing backup for my friend who also added rhythm with an arsenal of percussion instruments. Doing our emotional renditions of If You Don't Know Me By Now, I noticed a lady sitting in one of the lounge chairs across from me. She was swaying to the beat and singing along. After the tunes was over, she approached me. I apologize for singing along on the song. Did it bother you? She asked. No, I replied. We love it when the audience joins in. Would you like to sing a front on the next election? To my delight, she accepted, accepted my invitation. You choose, I said. What are you in the mood to sing? Well, do you know any hymns? Hymns? Uh, this woman didn't know who she was dealing with. I cut my teeth on hymns. Before I was even born, I was going to church. I gave our guest singer a knowing look. Name one. Oh, I don't, I don't know. There, there are so many good ones. You pick one. Okay, I reply. How about his eyes is on the sparrow? My new friend was silent. Her eyes averted. Then she fixed her eyes on mine again and said, Yeah, let's do that one. She slowly nodded her head, put down her purse, strengthened her jacket, and faced the center of the shop with my two-bar setup, she began to sing. Why should I be discouraged? Why should the shadow come? Why should my heart be longing and long for the heavens and home when Jesus is my portion? My consistent friend is he. His eyes are on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. The audience of coffee drinkers were Transfixed, I sing because I'm happy. I sing because I'm free. For his eyes are on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. When the last note was sung, the applause crescended to a defending roar. Embarrassed, the woman tried to shout over the thing, Oh, you go back to your coffee. I didn't come in here to the concert. I just came in here to get something to drink, just like you. But ovation continued. I embraced my new friend. You, my dear, have made my whole year. This was beautiful. It's funny that you picked that particular hymn, she said. Why is that? She hesitated again. That was my daughter's favorite song. She grabbed my hands. By this time, the applause had subsided and it was business as usual. She was 16. She died of a brain tumor last week. I say the first thing that found its way through my silence. Are you going to be okay? She smiled through fear, tear-filled eyes and squeezed my hand. I'm going to be okay. I've just got to keep trusting the Lord 
and singing his song. And everything's going to be just fine. This is a long illustration. But, you know, this is the song that I chose, I mean, illustration that I chose for last Sunday before my mother passed away. But this illustration, especially the last phrase, I'm going to be okay. I just got to keep trusting the Lord and singing his song. That touched me. You know, the lady at the particular moment, the time, the meeting people, was it a coincidence? I don't think so. Even the, even the illustration that I chose, that makes me to think, like whole week. We may think it's coincidence, but it is not. It is not. I thought about heaven a lot. Makes me very encouraged. The author named Scott Peck, he wrote a book about uh, afterlife in Heavens as an Earth. In his book, he kind of introduced a figure. He went to heaven and he came back to watch. He wanted to see how his children are doing. He came back and looked at them as he went back. He never returned again. You know why? Because he, when he met God, he knew God was real. He began to trust God more. You know what I'm talking about? Because of that, he trusts God who can take care of his children. Knowing the fact that God can take care of his children, he didn't have to come back again <laughs> to see them. That thought encouraged me so much. Trusting issue. God is testing our faith. Do you trust me? In the midst of difficult situation, do you trust me? I like this passage here. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. If you gave your life to Jesus Christ, you are co-heirers with Jesus Christ. We have to be like him. Jesus trusts God 100%. We have to learn that trust from the Lord in the midst of difficulties. We've got to learn how to trust him. And also bear his fruit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. You and I, we need to bear this fruit. Because of that, things that what we're going through, it's not coincidence. God is building us, building our character, building, making us like Jesus Christ, who can bear such a fruit like this. Last point, uh, you need to remember we are under God's providence in spite of difficult circumstances. Think about Joseph who fell. He feels a rope uh, hit him on the shoulder. One of his brothers shouted, grab the rope, I'm going to pull you out. Joseph must have thought, yes, I'm finally getting out. They have come to their senses. They are probably begging my forgiveness give my coat back and send me home. But instead, when he got out of the system, 
he discovered he had been sold as slave. His hands were bound. He was tied to reed rope to one of the pack camels. As caravans walk into the sunset, the brothers finish their meal laughing at their brilliant their ideas. But Joseph wasn't laughing. His shoulder drooped as he struggled to keep up with the camel. I can imagine him looking back toward his home, wondering if we would ever see it again. Life is like that. You have gotten out of sinkhole only to find yourself in another one. But just remember, just remember God's deliverance. God's deliverance is something disguised as more trouble. That's the thing we have to understand remember. I mean, see, we know the scripture, so we know the scripture. We know the whole Joseph's stories, right? We know how Joseph's story ends. He made it. He lived a successful life. But think about this. If he hadn't been sold into slavery, he never would have reached Egypt. If he hadn't been sold to an official peril, he never would have ended up in Paris prison. If he hadn't been in the Paris prison, he never would have been summoned to the palace to interpret dreams. And you know the rest. It was only later Joseph understood God's hand was involved in this event. 22 years later, when he was prime minister of Egypt, he said to this, this brother, and now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourself for selling me here because it was to save lives. That was the God's plan for Joseph's lives, that God sent me ahead of you. It wasn't you. It wasn't Midian traitor. It, it, wasn't, it was God. He knew God's providence. So the lesson I want to share with you is don't panic. Don't get scared. When you are in the sinkhole, think about his providence. Let me conclude this. The glorious truth about this whole story, Joseph's life, is that God was with him all the way. God was with him when he was a teenager, full of pride. God was with him when he was in sinkhole system. God was with him when he was unjustly thrown into prison. And God was with him when he ruled as a prime minister in the palace. If you surrender yourself to the Christ, I want you to remember this. God is with you all the time. He never leaves. He never forsakes you. He's with you all the time. That is the promise of God. Last question. Does it feel like you are in a pit? You are in a sinkhole? I'm going to end with this, this saying, this story. A man fell into pit. An optimist came along and said, things could be worse. Pessimist came along and said, things will get worse. Subjective person came along and said, I feel your pain in the pit. An objective person came along and said, it's logical that pits are there to fall into. Pharisees, Pharisee came along and said, only bad people fall into pits. IRS guy, IRS guy came by saying, are you paying tax on, on your pit? 
name it and claim it, preacher came by saying, just confess that you are not in the pit. The engineer came along and measured the depth of the pit. The news reporter came along and asked, how do you feel in the pit? Finally, Jesus came along. What do you think Jesus would say? I think he's not going to say anything. He's going to just put himself in the same single pit and he's going to probably embrace you, hug you, and say, my beloved, I love you. You are mine. I'm going to get you out of this pit. <laughs> That's what Jesus is going to say. Let's pray together. Lord, so often we tend to forget, especially when we go through times of troubles. Lord, help us to remember you have planned for us. Lord, help us to remember that everything that happened in this life is not coincidence. Lord, help us to remember you are with us all the time, even in the midst of hardship, difficulties, Lord. We believe your providence, Lord God. We know that you are so real to us, Lord Jesus. Would you embrace us, Lord, especially those people who are going through tough times, Lord God, difficult moments, Lord God. Would you hug us, Lord God? Would you speak to us the conviction that you will take us out of the system and you will send us to, back to the track where we can take step to success, Lord. Bless all of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.